Okay, so this is a real story, and it's a sad story, but it's a real story. A gentleman called me and said, Hey, everybody, welcome to the Standing Stone podcast. I am Ethan. And I'm Kat. And today you get just us. It's just us. Um, we are in this podcast form, and we want to talk specifically today about summer because we're in the midst of it, hopefully, and summer training tips, things to avoid, things to try and do, things that you probably didn't think about and some that you did, but maybe didn't think about them quite as extensively as we're going to talk about today. Now, before we jump into this specifically, we want to touch on a couple things. First and foremost, the folks that support everything that we do more than anything else are patrons, okay? Patrons are people that love what we do and sign up on a platform called Patreon, patreon.com slash standingstonekennels. And it's not just a, we want to support you. It's a way to get additional support from Kat and I at the same time supporting the channel, okay? Um, we're set up there to be able to answer questions, uh, watch and review your training videos, or join you live during one of your training sessions to give you direct feedback as it's happening, which is the absolute next best thing to having your dog here in our hands. Um, the next thing that we do want to mention is uh, everything that we do, okay, we use specific products, and you ask us about those on a regular basis. What bird bag is that? What e-collar is that? What dog food, which we don't sell dog food, but we have all of the things that we use and recommend at standingstonesupply.com. That is our own supply store. Everything is fulfilled here, or most everything is fulfilled here on the property, and we get things out fast, providing you the equipment that we're actually using and can recommend. And if when we start talking about our summer training tips, do's and don'ts, and other segues, which will always happen during our conversations, especially when Ethan's involved, he's kind of um, gets off topic once in a while, which is great. It adds a lot of flavor to the conversation. King but, of the segue. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want a segue. But you ever if, written on a segue? No. I would probably, I don't know, those like, driving things with the big two wheels. I have not. I would crash them. Uh, but what I was going to say is if <laughs> you have ideas and things that you want to find out about training and we kind of get off topic and we're talking about training, head over to our Standing Stone YouTube channel. We have a whole bunch of training videos, puppy training basics, things like that. And you can actually search on YouTube, it's like a search engine, so you can be Standing Stone Kennels, Water Introduction, Standing Stone Kennels, Collar Conditioning, and a whole bunch of videos that are related with tags and all that, you know, search engine optimization stuff that we do when we create these videos and descriptions. Those will pop up and then you can watch them um, and help train your puppy this summer or your older dog. I love it. Um, fun little intro, guys. We're excited to chat with you today, and I think that on that note, we should jump right into it. Um, with this, we thought summer training tips, do's and don'ts, uh, the dangers and the funds of the summer, how you should be 
working through the summer with your dog and things that you can avoid and things that you should be doing to prepare moving forward. Um, I think one of the biggest things to probably cover when it comes to the summer is the heat. Okay. I would say so as well. Depending on what part of the country you're in, heat is a bigger or a smaller factor, but every place in the country during the peak of the summer, heat is a factor. And dogs, depending on where you're at, have different acclimations. So if you're down in Arizona, your dogs may be acclimated to slightly higher temperatures, but you still have to be cautious about exposing them to too much heat. The same up in like Minnesota or something in the summer, um, your dog may be acclimated to a different level of heat tolerance, but again, all levels of heat can affect your dog um, differently. Air temperature, humidity, sun intensity, all those things play a huge role in how the dogs are affected by the heat. And acclimation being a big part of that. I think this is something that people misunderstand or maybe overlook or just flat don't know, okay? Um, But it it works for us, right? So the the first warm snap coming out of the winter, right? That first day, it might be 60 degrees and the sun is shining. There's no wind. There's no clouds. And you step outside out of the dead of winter and you pop into the 60 degree day and you're like, oh yeah, this is t-shirt and short weather. Let's, uh, I'm ready I remember doing that in North Dakota, especially like those first few mm-hmm. spring days where it was like, whoo, 55 and sunny. It's shorts weather in North Dakota. Absolutely. Heck, I saw people wearing shorts during the middle of winter in North Dakota. Um, There's some dummies up there. I was going to say some very... Um, strong, hearty souls, but yeah. Uh, when the when there's a wind chill <laughs> of below 30 degrees and a guy's wearing shorts or- And a hoodie. I mean, the hoodie, hoodie is the this thing. life, yeah. right, of a college student. I mean, it's like, there's legitimate concerns for frostbite. No matter how <laughs> tough you are, your skin will still freeze. Anyway, we digress, and there are different ways to be acclimated to- those temperatures. The same when we start hitting winter time frame. Um, I know when it starts getting chilly in the fall, it's like, oh, I need all the layers. I need all the gloves. I need all the things. Um, but towards the middle of winter, you can withstand those colder temperatures and they don't feel as harsh and um, daunting, I guess. Yeah. And the reason for that is acclimation. Your body has gotten used to the temperatures and the change and the difference. And we have to take that in consideration with our dogs. So um, right now, uh, we, well, right now, as we record this, um, we are falling into that category of rolling out of the cooler temperatures into the warmer temperatures. And I think it was 74 degrees the other day, maybe 70 degrees, but it was that situation where the sun was shining. There were very little to no clouds and not a ton of wind. And Every dog was getting... And there was increased humidity that day for sure. Yes, humidity. So there's a lot of factors that play in a role. And I think the key here is um, every dog in that situation acted, felt, looked, behaved as if they were very warm. And, you know, they're not acclimated to warmer temperatures where later this summer we're going to be praying for those 70 degree, 74 degree mornings to start off with because it's so cool and feels amazing. So um, the key here with the heat aspect of things when it comes to training or working with your dogs is reading your dog specifically. 
don't call them a pansy. Don't say tough it out, big guy. If they're coming to you saying, I am hot, and some of those signs are going to involve panting and uh, panting and more panting. Or seeking shade. You know, you're working a field and the dog goes to find the shade by a tree or your shade. They come up to you and they lay in your shade that you're creating just standing there. Um, They're too hot. They need to cool down. They need a break. Um, They're looking, uh, they're tired, right? They're going to be very tired and panting and worn out looking. You know, so those are the things that you're going to see. You're going to say, all right, buddy, you are hot, even though it doesn't feel hot. And I specifically said that when we were running dogs, I was like, it's, it doesn't feel warm out here to me. feels good, but I also don't have a fur coat. And, and them being closer to the ground is different too, because um, they're down in the grass. It's a little bit thicker cover down there. Air movement doesn't happen as much. So it can feel a lot warmer down in the grass where there's that insulation happening than up in the air where we're at, where there's more of a breeze able to reach us and things like that. And keep in mind, we sweat. So that helps with that evaporative cooling. Dogs really don't do that other than a little bit of moisture through their pads. Um, But they are basically... Wearing this fur coat, they are insulated and they don't have evaporative cooling to really help them. That's why we will sometimes mimic evaporative cooling by getting dogs wet, cooling their ears where there's a lot of blood vessels, their bellies, things like that. So that when the air crosses those areas, it acts like evaporative cooling for the dogs that don't sweat. Um, Another thing that we do that we didn't mention as far as like acclimating dogs um, is our kennel is kept warmer in the summer and cooler in the winter so that there isn't such a big temperature shock change for the dogs from inside to outside during those times. Um, So I'm not saying we're keeping the kennel at 80 degrees or 90 degrees in the summer or 50 or 40 degrees in the winter, but we're trying to decrease that temperature change as much as possible without um, affecting the dogs, you know, from an inside standpoint. 100%. 100%. So keys here are heat's going to play a role coming into your summer training if you haven't already seen it and acclimation or, um, you know, kind of working your dogs into it slowly and listening to them. You know, that's the, they can't talk to us. So you've got to read the signs that they're giving saying I'm too hot and believe that the drive and desire the dog has is, is telling them you know, normally would overcompensate for some of these things. If they're to the point where they're that hot, it's serious. Don't ignore it. Yeah. Um, Definitely now, be observant because like Ethan said, yes. they can't talk. Um, and we try and get out and train in the morning during the coolest part of the day before the day has had a chance to heat up. Um, and I know a lot of people don't have an opportunity to train until evening time frame. And sometimes depending on where you're at, um, you can sneak out some cooler weather in the evening, but a lot of that heat intensity is still there from the day and it doesn't really drop and cool off until overnight. And then right again, first thing in the morning is kind of your coolest point of the day. Um, so if that's a problem that you're struggling with, just finding enough time to train and work before it's too hot, use your weekends, um, get up extra early, get a little bit of time in, in the morning then. Well, the interesting thing is to, uh, you may or may not have heard of heat exhaustion. And I'm going to look this up while we're talking. Um, but I believe the majority of the symptoms are going to pop up. 
like one to two days after, like you're going to see it's something heat stroke or heat exhaustion. Um, the problem about it is, so the problem with the heat issues is it takes, um, it doesn't take a ton to kind of push a dog over the edge. But once they've gotten there, folks, there really isn't a true coming back off of it. So if you cross that threshold into true heat exhaustion or a heat stroke, um, dogs are going to be drastically more sensitive and struggle with it for the rest of their lives. If it doesn't, in fact, kill them, okay? Dogs can die. And it happens, um, I know even, I mean, this is a different time frame, but there's some really hot days that'll happen in the beginning of hunting seasons, like dove season, or even some early upland seasons to start in October. It's still super, super hot, okay? And people don't pay close enough attention or, um, you know, look at those signs that we're talking about. Or they, they get, uh, and this is, you know, it's kind of horrible to say, but they get um, greedy, not greedy, uh, selfish, okay? They say, this is our two days to hunt together. This is our three days to hunt together. This is our first day of the hunting season. We need to be out here doing this, even though it's 95 degrees and the dog is half dying, okay? So this is a real story, and it's a sad story, but it's a real story. A gentleman called me and said, I don't know what I'm going to do with this dog. I'm tired of this dog. I, if this dog can't hunt, this dog isn't going to be part of my family. This is ridiculous. I don't know. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, we worked with you before, and you've all you've ever said to me is that you absolutely love this dog, right? The dog has proven itself over the years. It's like a three-year-old, at that point in time, maybe three or four-year-old short hair. And... um have you ever experienced this before? Basically what it was, is a dove hunt. He's like, dog won't retrieve birds. It's not paying attention. If the dog can't hunt, it's not going to be part of things here. Like, okay, so let's kind of break this down and walk through this a little bit and come to find out it's upper nineties. I don't think it was over hundred, but it's upper 90 degrees. And the dog is literally sitting, oh, baking in the sun. Well, and a few, maybe a few pounds overweight. It's not that upcommon, uh, abnormal, excuse me for dogs to be a little bit overweight and that's going to affect, you know, it's insulation. Um, fat guys are probably feeling it, right? They go, I get sweaty and hot faster, whatever. It's the same thing's going to apply to the dogs. They get warm, they can't cool off. And that aspect of the overheating side of things wasn't taken into consideration. You know, that dog was not advocated for. It's like the dog's just not doing it. Well, uh, that's a completely unrealistic expectation of any dog ever. I would never take, if we were going to go dove hunting, I would say this is the day that the dogs don't get to come if it's 95 degrees outside. Or if they did get to come, I would utilize it more as a, we have a shaded environment. This is key here. And we're sitting near a pond, which is only a small factor. And we're going to get into the water aspect of it later, but, um, but we're not going to be doing a lot of running, a lot of retrieving. We're going to utilize this more for a steadiness tripe drill. As the kind of peak of the heat comes off, we may take the opportunity to make a few retrieves. But um, you running around out here for any length of time, and I'm 10 minutes is going to be way too much at that temperature, no matter how acclimated the dog is. Okay. But 
in that specific situation, you know, the owner was not taking into consideration any of the factors or listening to the dog and what the dog's saying of, I'm dying, literally trying to die out here because it's so hot and I'm trying to work, but I can't do it anymore. So. And that's the thing. Some of these dogs have so much drive desire that they don't listen to themselves either. They don't listen to their bodies and they need us to advocate for them and say, Hey, Fido, you need to take a break. We need to go cool off. You need to chill out. We need to relax because you're getting too hot and you're going to overdo it and you're going to cause some serious damage to yourself um, because they have so much heart and desire and drive and they want to do this. They live to hunt and they don't want to quit either. So we have to be their advocates. Um, And speaking of heat and temperatures and things like that, something that also gets overlooked um, early spring is those few warmer days, the temperatures in cars also heat up Mm -hmm. exceptionally quickly with the windows up. Even if you're like, oh, I'll crack the windows for my dog and you crack them like that much. That's not enough. It still can get exceptionally hot in that car very quickly. Um, We've actually done a video where Ethan baked himself in a car for, um, I was in there for an hour. Yeah. And on a warm, sunny day and gauged the temperature raising in the car. And, um, the I think dif- it got over 130 degrees in the car. I don't remember. I don't think it got 127. I don't know. I'd have to look back at the video. It's been a couple years since we did that, but I can find it. Okay. Ethan can find it. But the thing is, that when we shot that video, we didn't really put it into the video in perspective. And looking back at it, we're like, hey, we should reshoot that video and do that again sometime. Because the thing is, we were in control of the situation. We were sitting in the car. We were watching the temperature rise. We were going, this sucks. This is not comfortable. Um, I kind of don't feel good, that sort of thing. But you think about a dog in that situation. They're in a car. They can't let themselves out. They don't know when their person is coming back for them. They're getting hot. They're getting uncomfortable. They're starting to panic because they have no control over the situation. So keep that in mind too. If you're keeping or leaving your dog in a vehicle and it's even remotely warm out and there's you know a little bit of sun, that sun intensity can increase the temperature in that car so quickly. And um, your dog has no control over that. And that can work them up even more and make the effects of that heat even more devastating for them. So if you're gonna have to leave a dog in a vehicle or a pet in a vehicle, whatever animal it is, a person in a vehicle, I mean, I know that's a big thing too, kids getting left in cars. Um, Always leave the vehicle running. Don't leave your kids in a car unattended. But if you're leaving your dog in a crate because you got to run into the grocery store real quick or whatever, leave the car running with air conditioning running. We do that. I mean, if we're traveling with dogs and they're in the vehicle with us, we always leave the vehicle running. Um, And something to keep in mind with some of these newer vehicles, because it um, was something that caught us off guard, those push start vehicles, not the key crank vehicles, have like an emergency shut off after 10 or 15 minutes. And we want to make sure that um, the car is not shutting off after 10 or 15 minutes. You think, oh, I've got time. I'm going to run into the store and I'll be back out. Well, if the car shut off 10 minutes into your hour-long shopping excursion into wherever you're going and you come back out and the car has been off for 50 minutes, that's a big deal. So um, make sure that you've got that feature shut off on your car if it's a feature of your vehicle. What were you trying to show me? Oh, I was going to show you. It says 138 degrees. Oh, you were right. 
write it down, folks. Uh, 138. De- I was sitting in there. I remember this. I okay? was sitting in there with you videoing it. Yeah. And literally the cameras. Overheated. Uh, overheated. We had to keep swapping cameras out and, and batteries, batteries out and things because the, the cameras were overheating. But it's an extremely valid point. You know, I was sitting there calmly going, wow, this is really hot. Um, if I get too hot, I'll open the door. But if I wasn't and I was trapped in there, I mean, there would be a sense of that panic. You know, it's and that panic and movement and more activity would have only made me warmer and feel more uncomfortable. So heat's a heat's a huge thing through the summer. And, you know, we've got to we've got to pay close attention to our dogs. Um, acclimate them properly as the conditions change and listen to what they're telling us and don't leave your dogs in a car. It's well worth it. I would say few, like maybe a dollar worth of fuel, but today that might be $5 worth of fuel. Totally worth it. I don't know if we have a dog that's worth $5 worth of gasoline to idle. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. So I wanted to get back to, we talked about water and that I, kind of I seg- think that, that that people don't I'm just saying this like if your car literally idles for an entire day or an entire afternoon because when we go to tests and events I'll run my truck or vehicle all day long too um and and maybe burn a gallon or two gallons maybe let's say splurging here we burn three gallons of fuel sitting there right all afternoon Okay, I think anybody that has a dog that's listening to the situation can afford the $12 to keep their animals safe and healthy, right? Um, Just throwing that one out there. Ethan's brutally honest comment. I wasn't even brutal yet. I'm just getting warmed up, folks. Getting warmed up, that's right. Okay, so back to us staying on topic a little bit. We were talking about with the dove hunt and the water and the potential of swimming. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing that people think about is, well, it's the summer, it's hot out. I'm going to be able to train, work, and condition my dog by letting them swim all the time. You know, we're going to go down to the pond and we're going to swim. Yeah, biggest misconception of summertime training. Why, Kat? Why is it a misconception? Well, first of all, you have to think about what is the actual water temperature that your dog is swimming in. Mm -hmm. Now, sure, that can be different if you're in a place where it's running water or spring-fed water. That water temperature might actually be cool enough to be um, comfortable for your dog. They're not going to overheat while they're working in the water. But think about it as if the water temperature is 70 degrees, that's like the air temperature being 70 degrees, except worse because you don't get any air movement. Um, they're down in that water, they're working, so they can actually overheat in the water, um, just like they could on land. And when they're in the water, if they're not getting out enough for that evaporative cooling to help and to happen, then again, they're going to be able to overheat in the water. Yeah, it's, uh, I think that's probably one of the normal number one things that we hear from people is, Oh, when it gets hot, we just go to the water and we play fetch and my dog loves it. And it's so they much swim around with me in the kayak they're in the water and water is cooler than outside. And I mean, I don't know. What's the average temperature of the water come? I mean, there's times when we go to the lake in the summer and it feels like bath water. It does. It feel it literally feels warm ish when you get in. And that's gross to think about. <laughs> but it's um, 
it's warm. You know, there is no cool off. Now you do the the in and an outing, right? That helps a little bit. If there is a little breeze, you have the right conditions to where that helps like us sweating or what have you. But um, still, you aren't automatically cooling off by getting in the water. So it's important to... Um, Just be aware of those conditions um, and not make the assumption that, oh, being in the pond or swimming in the water is going to automatically mean your dog is able to cool off and be more comfortable. 100%. Now, with that, we I just mentioned going to the lake or whatever. We love to take our dogs with us, but dog, typically singular. Um, it's a lot. On uh, we, we have a little boat. We go to the lake that's by us, and it's fun family time, and um, the dogs love it. It's kind of crazy. We'll pull into a little cove and let the dog jump off the back of the boat. And then we have quite a few dogs that will just swim circles. It's like, how long can they literally swim in circles around the boat? And it seems like forever. Now, some people ask us about life jackets, right? Do you put a life jacket on your dog? Uh, we don't, but we pay attention to them again, watching them. I don't think that life jackets are a bad thing. No, I don't either. Um, especially if you're going to be in a situation where the dogs can't get out of the water and they start to get tired or they cramp up. I mean, it's a life jacket. It's a, it's a safety measure. And where we're at typically where we go, the dogs can get to shore within, you know, maybe a hundred yards of the boat, not even. And so if they're getting tired, they can easily get up on shore. They can go back to the boat and we can boost them back in the boat. Um, and again, we watch them and pay attention to what they're doing. Now, rougher waters, things like that. Usually where we're at in these coves, it's pretty protected. There's not really big waves, things like that, because we're out there with our little boys. Um, They don't like getting waves and splashes in the face really either. Um, They're still learning about swimming and floating and not breathing in the water. So um, the dogs too are in those protected areas. So keeping in mind the conditions of where you're going to be. Um, I don't think life jackets are a bad thing. We just haven't had a need or a use for them um, up until this point. I want to throw this one out there because it absolutely makes me sick. Anytime I see pictures or videos, mostly videos, right, of people driving their boats with their dogs standing up on the front with their paws and their ears flapping in the wind. It's the equivalent for me of a dog riding in the bed of a pickup truck. I was just going to say that. a dog... With their the window sticking out the window. Well, the window all the way down and then standing in the windowsill. I mean, that is one bump. That is one wave. That is one hiccup away from clunk clunk of some sort, right? Even just Splash, the Splash imp- clunk. Yeah, even just the impact on the water or the, you know, being hit by the boat, even if you don't have a propeller or something like that, that can be very dangerous to the dog um, as well as could knock them out. And if they're knocked out, they aren't going to be swimming. And definitely if they're not wearing a life jacket, they're going to be drowning. So, um, and by the time you get turned back around, it might be too late. So, um, we have heard stories, horror stories about dogs getting hit by boats, falling out of the boat, um, and things like that. And so same with out of the back of pickups or out of Mm -hmm. windows of vehicles. And it is a very scary thing. So for us, we always have the dogs 
in control, in, in a controlled situation. When they're in the vehicle, they're crated or they're in their dog boxes in the back of the truck. They're not just free roaming. Uh, when we're going to the lake, they're either crated as puppies because um, we have enough room on the boat for a crate or they're laying in a place on the boat, basically place training. Now, we have done in vehicles, and this jumps a little bit, but you mentioned it. Um, we've had dogs ride out in vehicles on occasion. Um, and every single time I do it, I get in a situation where the dog has pushed uh, through me or to go into the back seat or to come to the front seat or to do something that's stupid or stands up where I can't see the mirrors or does something. And it's like, I can't ask you to sit back really quick so I can see my mirror. I, I've got a dog here that doesn't like dog move. I need to be able to see, right. You know, it's, or so, you have to tap on the brakes and they were kind of in a sitting standing position and, and they're, they they're the, like jerking forward. Yeah. yeah. Or they hit the dashboard. So it's, it's one of those things that it's not safe. It's not safe for you. It's not safe for the other people on the road. It's not safe for the dog. Just crate them. It's, it's better. It's safer. It's a, it's a better situation. Helps with motion around. sickness. If you're struggling with dogs with motion mm-hmm. sickness, mm-hmm. not having them just free ranging, free roaming around the inside of the vehicle. Now, similar when we go boating, most of the time for young dogs, sometimes we will bring little puppies, uh, we crate them and we have room. Well, we don't have room. It's always adds extremely it's crowded. Tight. Yes. So, but, but we, we do it anyway. We do it anyway. Cause we want them to come along. So we put the crate somewhere on the boat and usually somebody ends up sitting with their feet on it or something, you know, I mean, there's not room, but, um, bring young puppies and we crate them. And then the older dogs, typically we can quote unquote kennel them. Um, and that's under my feet. I've typically am the boat driver, but under my feet right there, curled up in a ball. And that's where they stay. Just lay a little towel down and say, kennel up here and utilizing place training, the kennel ideal and that that we apply in a lot of different aspects of training and life works really well there too. We have a dog that is um, able to go there and stay and behave. Now, granted, they still could pop up or try and run around or do whatever. They aren't in a crate, but um, that's what we do with the older dogs that do behave really, really well. So, um, you know, that's my recommendation when the boat's moving. Now, when the boat's not moving, dog bop around, stand up there. If the dog falls off the front of the boat, it's usually going to be okay. It's going to fall you know, there's typically not more than a foot or two of clearance and then they're in the water and they go, whoa, and then swim around and they're fine. Um, it's that situation of movement, you know, and the uncertainty of, you know, maybe. An unpredictableness of the situation. Yeah, maybe you're fine, but some dumb kid blows on by ski. on his jet ski. Yeah, and does just does something that, who, who knows? Anything can happen. And it's. All fun and games till somebody loses an eye, right? That's the that's the way that works. So um, take care of the dogs in the, the boating situations, the swimming situations. Understand that water doesn't magically mean that the dogs aren't going to overheat. And, um, you know, with those things applied, have fun. It's, it's an important part of the summer. It's an important part of having fun with our dogs. Yeah, we absolutely love going to the lake with the dogs, um, running around in the summer, doing retrieves out of our pond in the backyard. Um, obviously, all of this is within reason, and we just watch and observe and advocate for the dogs. But 
it's so much fun taking a puppy out to the lake and getting to watch them swim around for the first time or are on shore. I have videos of thunder um, and he's on shore and we're running around and building sandcastles and stuff. And he sees a stick, which is actually like a little tree that's growing out of the water, but he wants the stick. So he swims out to get to the stick. Well, he can't get it because it's attached to the bottom of the pond, the lake. And then he comes back and then he looks at it again. He's like, no, I'm going for it. And he goes back for it. That determination that you saw out of him as even a puppy was awesome. Um, and then I was thinking about when we had clutch on. The oh boat. my goodness. <laughs> what a do such a little dorky lab puppy. Um, he swam, he loved to swim. He loved the water, but I've never seen no. any dog have this kind of water entry. Usually, you know, they jump off the back of the boat, which again, like Ethan said, has a, you know, foot of clearance before you're on the water. And then they like lay, they like spread out and then they splash and make this big, you know, splashy water entry, but usually keep their head up above water. Kind of, That's, or attempt to. You know, or like baby bobs under. Mm -hmm. But this puppy would jump in and sink like a rock. And then he'd blub, blub, blub up and then start swimming. I like, swear, no he'd big deal. go a foot or so underwater. Underwater. And then he would come up what felt like seconds later. I mean, it was probably a like second. Like the first time he did it, it was very like, oh my gosh, where, where'd Clutch where go? Clutch What's going go? on? Oh my gosh. And then he was fine and you're like well you'll learn your lesson and that's not how you're going to do this anymore you put him back up on the boat he'd do it immediately again and that was his water entry as a little puppy off the boat oh my goodness. it was so funny i think we have little video clips of that as well on our i don't know phones that we have stuff. a good one because i think he stopped doing it by the time we're like we should really video this i this think i have funny. one video of it i think i have one little video yes, of it. but he would jump off the boat and then sink yes and then bob back up to the top and swim around. So just denser, maybe you know, like the difference in uh, in build and puppies and whatever. You just... People that can float versus people that can't float. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ethan, uh, I can't float, I folks. Know. I know you can't. I've tried. I've tried all the things. You can, can barely swim. In all honesty, this you should true. always have a life jacket on. I do pretty much. There's very, very rarely a fun fact about Ethan. He can't swim very well, folks. Um, can't float very well. And uh, suck at swimming. Just I, I try. I mean, but a bad something I'm bad at. I don't know. Always been bad at it. Always hated the water. Again, I don't necessarily at this stage in my life hate the water. I can't swim enough to save myself, but I'm not saving anybody else. Let me tell you that. I love skiing. That's fun, but I don't like falling in the water. <laughs> I don't think anybody really likes falling in the water when they're skiing, but. Um, and I'm really good at tubing. Like I I'm, hate tubing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I necessarily like it, but I'm good at it. Like, people are like, oh, yeah, try and throw me off. Well, I pretty legitimately don't get thrown off. And there was one time. You're like a little spider monkey clinging to the yeah, tube. Yes, I, I can move back and forth on the tube well to balance and do the things. And then uh, one time it got, I like was, I don't know if it was riding with you or somebody else. And the person fell off. Well, when you lose, not me. I do not like tubing. Okay, I pretty so much just watch people get flipped off because that just one of the, hurts watching you get flipped off. Might have been one of the Miller girls or something like that because I think we were with Brock or I don't remember. I don't whatever. Um, but then when you lose what you were balancing, your counterbalance. Yes, you lose your counterbalance. Like, and then the thing just goes whoop, 
and flips and uh, I'm dragging underneath the water and I'm like, I will not let go. And I had to let go. I couldn't get it flipped back. I was trying to flip the tube back over while we're still going. It didn't work. But um, a good story. It was a good story. Come on now. No, it was. I'm so I'm agreeing with you. Key being here, folks, that um, we have beat this horse dead and we're ready to move on, I think. Yeah. So things that people like to do in the summer with their dogs, or maybe they don't think about doing in the summer with their dogs because they're like, oh, it's too hot. You know, there's not anything that we can do. Well, there are some things, you know, taking into consideration the heat factor that we've already talked about and talked about and talked about. Um, But keeping your dog in good condition over the summer so that when hunting season rolls back around, they're not fighting against those 10 extra pounds they put on over the summer and the lack of cardiovascular exercise that they've done to keep their bodies in shape and their muscles in shape for hunting. Um, It's the same thing that we kind of need to do. We can't just sit on the couch all summer long and then try and hit the field come, you know, opening day. <laughs> Ethan. You don't do that at all. I don't, okay. Um, and think that you're not going to pull a groin muscle, get blisters. Oh, my gosh, yes. I remember that 100% before we did this full-time. Like, go back hunting opening weekend, right? What have you done to prepare for this? Absolutely, Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. yeah. And three quarters of the way or halfway through the first day of dragging your feet through tall grass and sloughs and what have you, you have a pulled growing muscle and you literally can't walk for two weeks. I mean, it's miserable. Yes. Um, so keeping your dog in shape throughout the summer as best you can, and there's options for doing that. Yes. Training, roading, running early when it's still cool out, going to some lake, some water somewhere that isn't exceptionally warm um, and doing some, because swimming is great exercise for dogs. Um, It's low impact. It builds a lot of muscle and strength and conditioning and cardio. Um, Treadmills are really great. If you can't, you know, if you don't have the time to get out and beat the heat, um, having a treadmill set up in the air conditioning that your dog can work on um, and a treadmill that can do an incline is awesome, especially if you have an older dog, you know, that's over that year mark so that we're not putting undue stress on these little puppy shoulders and joints and things like that. But utilizing a treadmill where you can control the temperature and you can control the speed and the incline and things like that, that's going to really work on that cardiovascular, um, health, uh, muscle conditioning and doing an incline. I don't know about you, but when you go to the gym and you use a treadmill on an incline and you don't cheat by holding onto the side rails and you're just like trying to keep up, that is freaking hard. Um, I know that I struggle with inclines, I'm like, I can't make my little legs work fast enough. Uh, But those are all really good things to do with the treadmill, the incline, doing some interval training. If your treadmill has that set up, if it's more of a human-based one, um, or doing interval training that you're setting yourself manually uh, for your dog. We have, so if you've watched any of our other um, stories on Instagram, you probably see a lot of the dogs on treadmills. Or if you see some of the other training videos that we have on our Standing Stone YouTube channel. We show how to introduce a dog to the treadmill. Um, we have one video utilizing an old human treadmill that we mm-hmm. got at a rummage sale with Nix. Um, and it can be done, but usually the length of those treadmills is a little short. And dogs, um, especially if they have longer legs or a little bit bigger, 
don't have the opportunity to truly stride out and get into a good pace. Um, so then we actually looked at, um, when the last human treadmill kicked the bucket, we're like, okay, mm-hmm. time for, we use one so much. It's time to invest in a dog version. And we exactly. got, we got a jog a dog treadmill, which is, um, super industrial. And I think we got the large size. We did. But I think the average person could utilize the medium size with no issues. And there's a fairly large price difference between the large and the Depends medium. on the size and breed of dog you have, obviously. But Yeah, I would, I would say on average, though, most sporting breeds that are uh, sub-70-pound range, which Nick's, I think, would pretty easily fit on the medium. He would probably be able to do the medium, yes. Yeah. I, Based I mean, on watching him stride like, out on the... There's almost two extra feet of treadmill, I feel like. So um, it would be tighter, but that would be kind of the, he'd be kind of the top end aspect of that. But the, he's bigger for the average sporting breed dog. So it's um, one of those at the. I could see some Brocco Italianos needing the large oh, because yeah. of their stride. Um, but definitely a treadmill would be a great option um, for summertime stuff. We've actually looked at getting um, a slat mill. Mm-hmm. which is all dog powered. So they, they set the pace. They, you know, work as hard as they want to work, um, which they're in control, which makes it a little less, um, because if they're on a treadmill and they're at a good clip and going and going and going, and you're increasing speed, increasing speed, increasing speed for them. And then they get distracted and they, you know, do a misstep. Well, the treadmill's still going at the speed that you set it. If they're on a slap mill and they change their speed, it adjusts automatically because it's literally dog powered. So we've looked at those. Um, and we've also looked at water treadmills, um, for our own personal dogs, as well as the dogs here at the kennel as a way for, um, additional conditioning during the summer and some water therapy, which is really good. Like I mentioned, swimming or walking through water is an excellent way to condition bodies, um, work muscles without that high impact and uncontrolled situation. Ah, hundred percent. So it's the thing that was the number one therapy listed for, um, anybody that's followed any of our stuff knows that, uh, Vex had a like front end shoulder arm, whatever, uh, shoulder, shoulder region bicep. Was it bicep related? Kind uh, of. I don't see the thing that we did is we spent too much time resting before I actually took him in. Um, because that's the number one thing that we would recommend for any type of injury is rest. And he would kind of bounce back and then he would seem like he was still sore and then he would bounce back and then he seems still sore. And then I rest him a long time before I could get in with uh, an actual orthopedic specialist, somebody that's good with movement and so on and so forth. And um, I got two different opinions. One was that it was a tricep. And tricep tear or something, something. And then somebody else said a bicep tear. So, I mean, it was like two opposite things. But basically, it was um, all of them have small connective pieces that come up into that shoulder region, whether they're in the front half or the back half or the kind of the wrap around the shoulder. It's all connected-ish. But um, the number one recommended therapy for him was water treadmill walking because of the resistance of the pulling forward. Not just walking on a treadmill, that's easy. Um, it's the pulling motion of the the resistance of moving the legs through the actual water. And um, 
the recommendations that were given to me were actually just to get water and walk him, you know, like get on the edge of the lake or the edge of a pond or something and just walk through the water. I'm like, that's super not stable or anything in these early stages, right? But wouldn't be bad later because adding some level of inconsistencies, um, unevenness, those things are going to continue to build more strength in the stabilizer muscles. And typically, if you strengthen those stabilizer muscles, you're going to improve. And that's one thing that's interesting is I have a lot of issues right now on my right side that are primarily built around stabilizer muscles and different, and I'm doing physical therapy. Okay. Um, not that it's like do 45 reps of this motion. Uh, that was a bad motion to do 45 reps of, um, do 45 reps of these different exercises. For two second holds. Yeah. So, you know, things that like, ah, oh, this doesn't really seem like I'm doing anything, but when you get to rep 35 to 45, it is a lot. It's like, Oh goodness, that hurts. So, um, it's helping, but I just was laughing because we were trying to figure out why you were struggling with some shoulder and elbow problems so in your I right do? side. We were like, what has been going I'm on? Am I that old? Yes. I'm, I mean, no, because I'm older than you, but you're not old because that would mean I'm old and that's not going to you're really old. Um, but the. But we were trying to figure it out because we're like, we need to try and eliminate that so that he can heal. And after doing this physical therapy, go back to not having pain. And it was like, well, is it from training dogs? Is it from shooting your shotgun? Um, you know, what, what is it from? And the number one recommendation was made of stop using your right side for now, which makes sense, right? Uh, stop re-injuring until we can get past the angriness and let it calm down and inflammation gone and then strengthen your stabilizer muscles and your supportive muscles so that you can prevent this from becoming an issue in the future. A chronic problem. Yeah. And so I switched to the left side with most of the things that I'm doing. And then I realized that my left side starts hurting. And when does it start hurting? Holding my youngest baby boy. He is Big like baby Cade. wrestling an alligator. Okay. He doesn't help. You hold him. And what I end up doing is kind of bracing him on the side. And then it's this motion, right? And I have this elbow shoulder combination of trying to pin him to your side fighting while I'm trying to get you know and Aiden's big thing right now is um he wants me to also carry him because he feels amazing yes because mom has said oh your dad's amazing look he can carry you both so he's like dad will you be amazing like buddy I'm running out of amazing I've got to hold you and my bad side while I wrestle the alligator Cade on my on the good side good that side I left. Yeah. that's now becoming the bad side because At least he helps I'm like you've got to hold on to my neck so that I'm not cling supporting. on to me like a little koala bear but because Cade is constantly he's not helping he's not clinging on to you he's not even being just a sack of potatoes and sitting there and letting you hold him he's constantly resisting being held because he wants down he wants to see what's going on he wants to look around and he's pushing against you so then you're pulling against him to keep him in you know from toppling out of your arms and let's face it he's almost well by the time this airs he'll be a year old and he is 26 plus pounds he's in 2t clothing he's a big boy he should be walking he should be walking he should be literally running right now hopefully by the time that this airs and he is over a year old he will be walking because he's close but 
he's not going to be walking well enough to be like, I don't have to pick you up and hold you anymore, child. So <sighs> we figured out the cause of Ethan's tennis elbow and shoulder injury. <laughs> yes. And building strength in those, well, we were kind of led to this, was building strength in those supportive muscles um, is done by adding small amounts of resistance, right? And that's um, what that water treadmill really, really, really can help with. Uh, if you have injuries looking into a place that has one of those is a good option. Um, we ended up with Nick's having with um, some issues with the older boys this last year. They both hurt themselves and they both pretty much didn't get to hunt at all last year. And it was Nick's had torn a the gracilis major, I think, or gracilis muscle, which is kind of like a hamstring type of thing. It's a gracilis, look it up. But um, it's water treadmilling was the recommendation for him too. And I start adding up how much it's going to cost to go um, do these water treadmill sessions X number of times a plus week. Plus the and time. Plus to driving. Drive it's an hour closest, away. Yeah, the closest is about an hour from us. And it's like, uh, we're going to be able to afford one of these if we ever need to do this again. And now we'll just, be able to utilize it for so many other dogs. It's just a matter of finding out where in the kennel to set it up mm -hmm. so that it's got water access, draining, all the things. And it's like, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, And we look back and we're like, this kennel is not that old, but dang, if we would have just done this and if we would have just added that and if we would have made more room here, yeah, we're not redoing the kennel, but it's one of those things where it's like, man, I wish there was just a smidgen more room in this area for this thing and all, all those little, you know, hindsight 2020 wish lists. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Now, um, speaking about uh, shoulder and everything else, I'm working on... The gentleman that, uh, to get him on and talk about this, because I think it's something that a lot of folks struggle with, whether they talk about it or not. Um, he actually has a social page called Archery Strong. Um, Christian's really, really cool guy. Um, I believe, and this is something I don't know 100%, but I believe he's a physical therapist by day job. Train. And does this kind of on the, on the weekends, evenings, side gig, sidekick, whatever. Um, gig, side gig. It's not Robin, uh, and he's not Batman. Um, but the, that being said, I'm trying to get him on. So we have him on the podcast to talk about specifically. He is a huge fan of archery and a lot of people have shoulder issues that become chronic from that. And I've talked with him a lot because I believe there's a number of different things that play into, but I had shoulder pain in the past that I actually worked with him about two years ago. And he set up a custom program um, with exercises that we adjusted as I, um, you know, as my strength grew and pain changed, you know, because that can happen a lot. Um, and it completely went away. It was 100%. So this is slightly different than I'm dealing with now because it also involves a little bit of elbow issue too. But so he's got a custom program and it's all different exercises than what I did before, or most of them are. And um, we're working through that. So I'm going to try and get him on to talk about his program and how it can help you and how it's helped me um, here in the near future. But So we were talking about conditioning and being ready for hunting season by not letting your dog or yourself turn into a fat, lazy couch potato over the summer. 
And a lot of people also, other than hunting season prep, are working on test season prep. So they are training all summer long, um, working towards some level of testing goal, whether that's, you know, running through junior hunter or the NA test, which is kind of puppy level stuff. Um, usually I've seen a, especially through Navda, a very heavy spring testing being puppy related and then heavier advanced testing. So UPT utility testing in the fall. And I think that that's just, um, based on timing, uh, people get to utilize all spring and summer for prep work, which those higher levels of testing typically take more training time and prep work than the intro level puppy natural ability tests where you're just looking at, you know, gaining some exposure to the things that they're going to need to do at the test. So usually your fall tests are a little heavier on the advanced testing side of things, but people are prepping for that all summer long. Um, And one thing that I feel like happens is um, people overdo it. So they train, train, train. And it's important to make sure that your dog truly is prepared so that when you go to the test, you have a handle on them. They respect you. They listen to you. They're obedient and they know what they're supposed to do out there. Um, But we don't want to make it so unenjoyable either, where it becomes, you know, sour to the training. And um, also with that being said, um, I feel like sometimes dogs peak. Like they, they get to this point where it's like, things are clicking. It's like, click, click, click. That's when they need to run. Like they hit this, like everything makes sense. And then Mm -hmm. you continue to work, work, work on that. You're like, well, more will be better. I will just keep conditioning this. And then it's like, and then we kind of fell off that peak because of one reason or another, you're either overdoing it. It's becoming boring. Um, or, you know, the dog's like, well, I'm learning that I can actually be naughty in certain situations. So um, it's nice to get the dog in and out when it really truly is prepared, ready, and hit that point of performance. Now, with that testing, um, traveling, testing, training, traveling, summer training and traveling and all of those things around that, uh, we ran into a lot of issues especially the more that you do it, you're going to run into these issues and maybe not as an individual with one dog kind of situation or one or two dogs kind of situation. But when we were training as a kennel, we have quite a few dogs that need to run and you can't just put crates inside of a vehicle with air conditioning and all of the things for that. Um, So we had the trailer and there's a handful of trailers you can get out there that are actually air conditioned and heated. And I still don't know that I would hundred percent trust those because they run off generators and where are the thermostats at? And are we actually getting enough cool air or too hot air or what, you know, I don't know a hundred percent how well those truly work, but, um, the trailers that we utilize were insulated and I remember. And have fan systems. Yeah. And fan systems. Yeah. So there's airflow, but, um, I remember traveling and waking up like early, early, like we've got to get on the road at three so that we can get to our test, get to our test. But I'm talking waiting to drive until, because once you're, you no longer have shade, you no longer have some of these things. Yes, you are driving, but it's 95 or a hundred degrees outside and you're just in the sun and the whole thing's baking and there's air movement, but it's still, it's like a convection oven of air movement. Yeah. It's just hot. 
So I can remember times where we held out and waited until we would basically be driving through the night or once that peak heat broke, at least you're on the downward swing. And um, I heard recommendations from a few different people, and I don't think that they were strong recommendations based off of experience. I think they were recommendations based off of ignorance. But why don't you use ice to help keep your dogs cool or something like that? And I've seen people give dogs ice and utilize ice in these situations where their dogs are hot. And I think that that's something should be touched on because it could actually kill the dog. And that's to be an extreme case, but the ice is too much of a shock to their system. You know, your dog's already warm, dog's hot, and then you cool them too fast. Um, it's a bad, bad deal. Um, the other side of it would be with water, right? People think about my dog's hot and dogs want to drink. And we talked a lot about listening to your dog, right? And what they're saying they need and all of these things. But a lot of times when that state of too warm, what they end up doing is uh, drinking too much water and it becomes an excessive amount of water intake. And that water intake then turns into vomiting because they just filled their stomach with a gallon or two gallons too of water. Too much water. Yeah. So a couple rules of thumb for the watering game and kind of dealing with that heat is um, one, don't use ice. Okay. Now you can have cold water, but don't like, oh, my dog's so hot. I'm going to empty the cooler water on them and give them this ice bath. It's just too big of a shock to their system. Um, you're just bottled water at temperature or whatever is going to be fine. Just not the ice water. Now, the next thing is we will give our dogs a little bit of a drink. Typically, when we're training specifically, it's going to be out of water bottles, shoot some across their mouth. They get to lick some and then water on their head, their ears, um, armpit areas, anywhere where there's a lot of blood vessels, um, you know, that helps with that evaporative cooling. But then once we get back and the run is over, we allow dogs to cool down and kind of come out of the peak of that warm category before actually allowing them to drink. And then we will give them access to all the water that they want, basically. Um, and if you do that, you're going to be a lot more successful with dogs actually getting the amount of water that they need without inducing that overindulgence and vomiting category. Because once you've reached that, it gets hard. And then they're, in fact, now have lost additional fluid. So you're essentially dehydrating when you were trying to hydrate. And it becomes a problem. It becomes a problem. So um, kind of tips would be just allow the dogs to cool down a little bit before giving them that access to drink as much as they want. It's uh, better on them than in them. Um, I've threatened multiple times and it just is a matter of getting it done, but water bottles that say standing stone supply on them and say better on them than in them. Um, they will come, it will happen. And you should be excited for them. I am. I know I am very excited. Good. Um, do you have anything else for Ah, the big topic. So, and I, it's summer training tips, but something that we always like to to just touch on because that's going to be coming up is fireworks season. Um, the 4th of July is just around the corner. I know people get fireworks early, start blasting them off. and The long uh, and the short of it is if your dog is scared of fireworks, they're basically a pansy and you should get a new dog. 
And that is misinformation. So <laughs> don't listen to Ethan. We have had dogs in the past that don't care for fireworks, don't care for thunderstorms, but are excellent hunting dogs. Um, it's about exposure. It's about association. And most of the time, fireworks are not associated with anything that dogs are truly excited about. Whereas gunfire is revolving around hunting and it's part of the way that the birds get harvested and then they get retrieves and it's all exciting and wonderful for dogs. Um, but you still have to do proper gunfire introductions, right? You're not just taking them out and blasting away most of the time, um, or at least you shouldn't be. And if you've done it that way in the past and your dog is fine, then you are super lucky, uh, but shouldn't be the way that you continue to train in the future. We have gunfire introduction videos on our YouTube channel, but fireworks. It's really hard to know exactly when people are going to be blasting them off, especially if you're in a neighborhood or um, in town. Kids want to light them off all the time, even, you know, out in the middle of the street with families. And it becomes an entire thing, not just one night a year over the 4th of July. So it's hard to 100% regulate and expect and be prepared and predict. But if you're in an area where your dog is unsure of fireworks and they're going off all the time, trying to limit their exposure um, and, you know, say, okay, we're going to, we know that they start letting fireworks go off when it's dark. Let's get our potty breaks over with prior to that. Get them inside where it's quiet and calm. Play some background music, things that will, you know, cover up a little bit of that noise from outside and help them be calm. Um, you know, you can't 100% make sure that everything's going to be perfect, especially in those unpredictable, uncontrolled situations. But also knowing that that could happen, take your dog out on lead um, so that if they get scared because something goes off and they try and bolt, you are connected to them. They can't escape and get scared and keep running and running and running um, and get lost. So you've got a hold of them. If the gun or fireworks go off and they start getting scared, you can call them. You can get them back inside, calm them down. Um, you know, and if it's extreme to the point where, you know, you just can't handle it, you've tried all the things, reaching out to your vet, finding out if there's some medication that they can prescribe during this period to help your dog become more calm. That is not something to be ashamed of if you need to do that. Um, we want to advocate for our dogs and, you know, make them as happy and comfortable as possible. Um, so just trying to be prepared for what firework season will bring for your dog. Um, and then make sure that if you have to, you know, kind of confine them during that time, that they're also able to get out and run and work and burn off some of that energy that's building up out of town, you know, take a trip out to, you know, some public land where you can run them to an out of, you know, off leash dog park that there isn't going to be fireworks going off. So they can still, you know, get out, work, burn off some energy and not just have, you know, two weeks of being cooped up because you never know when fireworks are going to be going off. So I think it just comes down to awareness. And that's something that I mention and speak to on a regular basis when it comes to dog training is you need to be aware of what's happening. You need to be aware of um, the situations that your dogs are going to be in. You need to be aware of how to help them and how to prevent bad things from happening. The more you're aware, paying attention, recognizing what's going on and how it's affecting your dog, the better off you're going to be all the way around. Avoiding um, heat issues, um, advancing in training progress, and uh, you know, avoiding these potential issues with fireworks or other things related to that. So 
Um, big takeaway, I think, for the heat aspect of things this summer and all of the summer activities is be aware and advocate for your dogs and, you know, take care of them. Uh, they're man's best friend, which man qualifies as woe man too. Okay. They're part of the family, they're members, and uh, we need to do the best that we can for them. That's right. I think that that's all the summer training tips we have for you guys today. Um, so I hope you listen to these do's and don'ts, took them to heart, and can adapt them to your summer and your training and your dog. Definitely. Thanks for listening. If you um, are listening via one of the pod catchers, fantastic. Uh, we also do have these available on YouTube. If that works for you, you can listen and watch. Um, there's not a lot for watching this one specifically, but um, we're there. Please, if you feel the need to do so, support us on all the social platforms. And if you need more help, reach out to us at patreon.com slash standingstonekennels. I'm the guy with the pink gun. And I'm Cat the Dog Trainer. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye.